Do you know what happens if you remove bees from an ecosystem? In short, it trashes it. Bees help plants pollinate, plants create the crops that we eat, without food we die. A seemingly small thing has a really large effect. I like to think businesses are the same way. Brands should operate as a cohesive ecosystem that every team and person understands their value in. Have you ever worked for a company where you looked around and you had no clue what half the people did? I have. It's brutal. You know, most companies have three or four departments in this giant org chart, ops, finance, marketing, HR. Each department gets bigger and bigger. Then all of a sudden, managers care more about how big their teams are rather than loving the work and making sure their teams love the work. And so it begs the question, how do you prevent this from happening? How do you keep your head count low and overwhelmed down? And how do you create a culture where everyone knows their importance? And what would happen if they were removed from that ecosystem? We have a pretty flat reporting structure at Gooder. We have 12 different teams at Gooder, except we call them flocks. And we call the team leaders flock leaders. Get it? Carl the Flamingos, our CEO, so everything's a flock. It's clever, right? In season three of the Culture Gooder podcast, we're going to invite a new team leader to each episode and do a deep dive on each flock. From content to ops, product to design, finance to customer service. All 12 teams will be represented, and you'll learn all about our ecosystem and why we thrive. This season's basically a masterclass on building an organization from the ground up. Let's talk about it. This is Culture Gooder with Stephen Lees and Sean Tinney. Each episode this season, we're talking to a different flock leader of the Gooder team to give you a more in-depth look at how we status the quo challenge. All right, Stephen, so remind our listeners why we launched this podcast again. It was actually because you and I wanted to share our culture with the world. We believe we have a really amazing culture at Gooder. We do things really differently. And we saw an opportunity to kind of let people peek behind the curtains and see what's going on and hopefully help people and inspire other brands to do things differently. Hell yeah. And pretty cool to be three seasons in at this point. What do you think your biggest lessons are from seasons one and two? Routines, everything. As where you are getting ready to record this episode, it is like riding a bike in a sense, but you still get a little nervous. <laughs> and so I think when we're in the middle of a season, right, we're recording every week, we sit down and we crush. And so routine's super important. Yep. I know you feel the same way. Oh, man. Last season, we were just flown. We had it all down. This morning, we're like, okay, so what's a microphone again? <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> yeah, what do I plug into? Oh, God. <laughs> so routine is really important. And also for us, we're giving ourselves the freedom to not stress about doing it every week. You know, this isn't our full-time job and we have other roles. And so we really, season two was what we wanted the podcast to be. And after we took a step back, we give ourselves the freedom to do things differently every season. And I fully intend on that to be the case as we move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this podcast like a Radiohead album or Beastie Boys or something. Like Each time we come at it, we know we can give ourselves the freedom to do it in pretty much any way we want, and it doesn't really matter what we've done before. For sure. And being a Type 7 in the Enneagram, doing things like differently every time gives me that energy, so I love that. Yeah, you know, we were just... I can't remember what our conversation was, but I thought that was a super profound point. You were like, you know, if anything that I have to do regularly, if I change it just a little bit, I never get bored. My life hacks run deep. Yeah. Um, all right. You know, you got to do this. So just tweak it and it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So, on that note, what are you most excited about for this season? Well, we're going to invite so many guests on. 
you know, it was really fun. We've had Hansi on in the past and Nicole and Dan and Mike. And it's really cool to give other people in the brand a voice. And I think I'm just most excited that every episode, except for this one, we are going to have a third guest on that has a really integral role at Gooder and letting them talk from their area expertise. Yeah. Okay. So aside from a guest every time, what's going to be different or unique about the way we run the rest of the season? Rather than me always kind of driving the conversation of a area of expertise, it's going to be them and ask every flock leader to give different tips and hacks for their team. And so whether it's ops or product or design, you know, listeners are going to have the ability to kind of hear how we do things really granularly. And I think that's a really, really cool thing because the culture obviously drives gooder high level. But when it gets down to it, our team are fucking ballers and they do their jobs really, really well. That's why we're so efficient. Right. So pro tip, we're crowdsourcing the podcast from within gooder. <laughs> For sure. Crowdsourcing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you say more about that? Like, I, I've noticed you use that approach to different things, and it, it seems to work out pretty well. Yeah, well, I'm very aware that I could lead every staff meeting, right? But one, then everybody just hears my voice all the time. It doesn't give other people opportunity to lead. And also, it's a huge bandwidth lift on my point. So we started our weekly staff meetings a long time ago. We rotate the leader every week. And so I do it a couple times a year. I do it the most, and I, that's just because there's certain things, but we rotate that. So that's an example of crowdsourcing. Or for this podcast, just made a list of, hey, here's all the available time slots. Everybody sign up. And so sent it out to the flock leader thread for them to sign up. So instead of you and I having to go through and look at everybody's calendars, they signed up. And so we crowdsourced our scheduling. <laughs> and it's a really valuable skill because it gets really daunting doing all this work all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten really good at looking at ways to crowdsource. It's also like if I need questions for something, I'm like, hey, can everybody send me one question to ask? And then I got it. Yeah, it's such a small little thing. But it's like you said, it, it relieves such a burden on you to be that creative in the moment or even, you know, cover all the bases that everyone else is going to inevitably include. And we get better results, right? So Every flock has values and behaviors. And for the flock leaders, I asked everyone to send me one example of a supporting and slippery behavior that speaks to our values. And so I get their input. And it's actually better because it's 12 different minds instead of just one. Yeah, that's great. All right. So we think we know who we're talking to. If you are someone who doesn't fall into one of these three categories, please hit us up at gooder.com slash culture. We'd love to hear from you. But we're trying to design this so that everyone gets value out of it. And the kind of way that we're approaching this is someone out there listening is a good or super fan. That's just baseline, right? Then we've got aspiring entrepreneurs and then executives leading like a team of 500. So why should each of those types of listeners be excited for season three? Well, if you're a good or super fan, then I just assume you love all things gooder. And so you're the easiest to please, right? I think that understanding how a sunglasses called whiskey shots for Satan end up on your face is really cool, right? You're going to understand every element of that. So that's for super fans. For aspiring entrepreneurs, I really hope that one day I'm going to be speaking at a conference and I just come across somebody who has a company that's bigger than Gooder. Mm -hmm. And they, they tell me, hey, I got to thank you because i designed our organization based around a lot of the things that you've talked about over the years. That would bring me so much joy. Like, I would love a like, billion dollar company to somebody who have like taken this and risen to like the stratosphere. And so 
If you're an aspiring entrepreneur, listen up. I mean, there's Gooder. There's also the five companies that I failed at before Gooder that you don't have to make a lot of mistakes. And so that's really, really for them. And for executives that lead giant teams of 500, actually, I'll throw another label in there. If you just lead a team of one or two, the interpersonal skills that are needed to do that is really important. You might not be able to change the entire culture of your organization, but if you lead a team of two, three, four, five, how we get to where we are is through this radical transparency and vigorous debate and tough conversations and, and empathy and care. And you can directly affect the lives of those two, three, four people in your organization. Don't discount how important that is. That's really, really important. And for a giant team, I really hope one day I get to know what it's like to lead a team of 500. Mm -hmm. So I'm not there yet. But what I will say is that's a hard job. That's a really hard place to be. And especially if you're trying to come in and change things now. Like if you if you change it from the ground up, it naturally goes. But when you come in, so why that's important is understanding if you have a team of 500, my guess is you, that is your own ecosystem. It's part of a larger one. But for this season, particularly, start looking at your team in this ecosystem and pulling it apart and understanding who needs what. Because at Gooder, we're very egalitarian, but Every person and team needs different things. Let's not pretend that they can operate the same way because they can't. Right. As I was listening to you answer that, I was thinking, say there's a team of five within an organization of 500. You can absolutely create your own little team culture and it's inevitably happening. You might as well take ownership of it. That team can influence, have a ripple effect within that organization. But then also the old way or the way that like most companies slip into complacency is because they get trapped in these little silos and then they get into like a us versus them within the own company, right? Within that yeah. organization, there's like infighting. So this approach is trying to create or at least recognize the interconnectedness of all teams anyway, and then embrace that and do something with it on purpose. A hundred percent, Sean. And also to be a great leader, you need to lead by example and do not discount how infectious that is. Do not discount if you have a team of five that is really soaring, how that starts to affect everyone around you. Absolutely. All right. So as a listener, why should anyone trust what we're saying here? I mean, it's kind of your choice. I stay away from, in general, what do I call it? Trying to validate us too much or anything. So for example, whenever I'm on stage at a conference in a usually a question will come up in the Q&A that's something like tell us why Gooder is better than Oakley and I love when they try and bait me it just it brings a special <laughs> joy to my heart but my response is we're not Oakley makes an amazing product they really do and if you like Oakley you should buy Oakley you have to decide do you like that look and do you want to pay that price and if so they're an amazing glass I'm not gonna say anything bad about them and that's the reality. I'm not going to sit there and try and do that. So for example, well, why should we listen to Culture Gooder podcast over how I built this? I was like, you shouldn't. You should just maybe listen to both. <laughs> how I built this is an insanely good podcast. And Guy Raz, what they've put together and the people they bring in are incredible. That's meta. This is not. And so you just have to decide, do you want to be inside a company down in the weeds with us or not? It's kind of your call. Right. I was thinking of the authenticity mantra right then. Can you tell everybody what that is? <laughs> if the goal is being authentic and people don't like you, it's okay. If the goal is being liked and people don't like you, you're fucked. We don't need to be liked. We just need to be ourselves. <laughs> there we go. All right. 
So uh, let's get into it here. What are we talking about terminology-wise? We're saying things like flock, flock leader, ecosystem. Can you help decrypt some of that for everybody? Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. So the I'm going to pull something up here because I totally forgot to have it up on my computer so I can talk to it more directly. But at Gooder, if you know anything about us, you know that we have crazy product names. We call our teams flocks, so on and so forth. And so... It's really fun and makes for a fun time. I think the side effect of that is that it can be confusing to outsiders. But insiders, it's not. So let me find a right entry point. All right. Our mascot is Carl the Flamingo. Carl's also our unofficial CEO. So when you ever refer to Carl, that's who Carl is. And we really lean into like the like our whole brand vibe is tropical, right? So that's Flamingo. So when we get down in there, we refer to team members as flamingo sometimes or just team members and when we were creating instead of having departments we, we want something different so we call them flocks and a flock uh, the leader of the flock is the flock leader so makes sense so you, yeah and then we have the ecosystem of gooder is all of our flocks each department how they go and and we have like, like oh you know we're the crops we're the fuel so really looking at it as an ecosystem. And so that's how that piece is set up. And even down to the outward facing stuff that's really interesting, a flock of flamingos is actually not really called a flock. It's called a flamboyance. Yeah. And so that's what our ambassador program <laughs> is called. The flamboyance, right? And so it's so much fun. So high level, we have the brand, we have our culture, then we have our ecosystem, we have our different flocks. And then Inside each flock, each flock has like values and behaviors that how they operate. So they know what's a supporting behavior, what's a slippery behavior. Then each flock has areas of focus. And so no more than five. These are the five things that we focus on. And so each episode, each flock leader is going to talk about this in this way, right? Here's our flock. Here's what we do. Here's our values. Here's our areas of focus. These are the five things that we hold most important. And then each flock has team members that have roles that speak up to it and so you can kind of see how it starts stacking on top of each other and this is methodically laid out in a deck and another term a deck is a presentation just yep. like powerpoint except for way better oh, <laughs> and shareable and all that yeah <laughs> so what terms did i miss sean i mean nothing the problem is i'm too in it to even know it just feels natural at this point so uh i'll let you know if something comes up yeah, it is. I'm aware that it might sound like we're speaking a different language and we kind of are. For sure. Well, I guess the other thing is bird language gets involved in everything. Like we've got a weekly squawking or a flamingo or we have flamigos. Like it's all just kind of, it gets woven in. It gets deep. <laughs> yeah, it goes deep. we're in there. Okay, so you just kind of rattled off a whole lot of things that, you know, sound normal and make perfect sense. But are not obvious, like we're not immediately there at the beginning, just as a, oh, this is how we're going to structure it. So how did you arrive at this philosophy of organization, clarity, ownership, etc? Well, I'm going to write a book this year. So (laughs) I just said that out loud. So now I have to do it. Uh Oh, (laughs) and I think that I will talk about this in a more structured way. But the real answer is it wasn't all at once. It is a living, breathing thing that keeps going and we just keep adding to it so for example the big piece that was missing towards the the last year that we realized is this areas of focus Mm -hmm. and understanding mountain who's our head of product was looking at his role and 
he realized, well, you know, what exactly do I do at Gooder? And if I was to leave tomorrow, like, like how would the company get by? And so he created an areas of focus deck. And he's like, all right, here's the five things that product, there are five areas of focus. It's like development, quality, regulation, sourcing, sustainability. And so here's why those are important. Here's everything that goes along with it. And I saw that. I was like, well, now every flock leader has to do this. <laughs> And everyone has now created a giant areas of focus deck. We've been working on it for the past six months. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't there until six months ago. That was a thing that recognized was missing and inserted it in. And so there's a ton of that. But from the base level, I'll, I'll try and recount a few key points. When you first start a company, it's super easy to have a super flat reporting structure. You don't need bosses. And, you know, we're, we're always big on empowerment. And so that was real. And it was just legit one level forever. And then you hire more and more people. And then you realize, oh, we have to do performance reviews. <laughs> and, yeah. and so that's where AMP was created. We talked about that in AMP in season two, our performance and, you know, pay rate system. All right, well, to do that, how are these people making sure that they're getting feedback and getting trained properly? So we started just creating different, at first it was just mentors and then in one year, we kind of just blew up. We went from, I don't know, probably 15 to 35, which was a, a giant leap. Yeah. And then we started creating flocks. And I don't know how many flocks were at the beginning, probably like six. Mm -hmm. And then as we grew and as things changed, we started pulling them apart. And in full transparency, we probably won't end at 12. We are going to do more. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like how this started and just recognized need. But the real reason was really serious about doing this is want to keep a as flat as possible. That's really important. Do not want giant hierarchy that I talked about in the intro, but staying away from this giant org chart because it's easy to think that, you know, marketing is a really good example. It's, it's easy to think that marketing, you know, the digital marketing squad and the digital marketing team, the content flock, the design flock, oh, that's marketing, put them together. But they do such radically different things. Mm -hmm. and, and same thing with ops. Ops is different than product. That's different than finance. Like that, that shouldn't just all be in one area. And so we caught that early and broke it down. And when you decentralize like that, you create a real ecosystem that's not governed top down. It's kind of governed individually <laughs> and collaboratively. All around. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking our org chart, uh, literally, I'm looking at it right now. It's a circle. It's a circle with a bunch of different circles. <laughs> yeah. It's not that normal, like, oh, there's the one thing at the top, and then it keeps going down, and then you get the people at the bottom. Yeah. If anybody's ever familiar with Holacracy, Holacracy has a similar thing. I'm not a big fan of Holacracy. I, I don't like it. I don't think any company should do it. it there's not an accountability piece there, but mm -hmm. there is elements of just ownership, and that is something that we're really big on. And if you have an org chart, then really only four people are responsible for the success of the brand. Uh -huh. And that's the head of those orgs. I think that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, that's where you get the like shit rolls downhill and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what else can you say about the flat reporting structure? Is there anything that you've learned in trying to implement this that might be helpful to others? Yeah. I mean, started early, started often. It all goes back to ownership and accountability and teaching people that having checkpoints, right? You need to have, we have a quarterly review. You need to have that. You also need to recognize when the people aren't right and you need to get them out of there mm -hmm. because everybody says they want autonomy. But what we have found out is certain people don't want to pay the price and the price is accountability. And that is the price. And so 
recognize that. So to go super flat, you need to have, yeah, obviously, very clear communication, very clear expectations, you need to create autonomy, and you need to hold people accountable. And that's really it. And give yourself permission to fuck it up. I mean, we still are <laughs> still not perfect, and yep. we're still working through it. Yeah, for sure. And just to kind of put a bow on that, what you're saying is, in order for anyone to own their role, they need to know with absolute clarity what their role is, what they're responsible for, what they're going to be held accountable to. That is not a mystery. And within the context of the flock, what their flock is doing, what are the values and behaviors that everyone in that flock is expected to live into, and they're going to receive feedback on regularly, not just in that quarterly review, like, hey, that's a slippery behavior, fix it, right? Yeah. And then that flock knows where they fit into the ecosystem. Like, you can only have autonomy from the basis of clarity and ownership. Yeah. And we've kind of been talking top down around this, like, flux. I'll tell it bottom up. All right. So somebody gets hired, and before a person gets hired, a flock leader presents the role and they do it in a pitch. Here's the role. Here's their defined duties. Here's who was doing it before. All those things, right? And then a person's hired, they have a role deck. And it is a really detailed description of what that person does. And it has multiple layers to it. And in there is your deliverables. Hey, what you're responsible for weekly, monthly, quarterly. So that is the start. So each person's hired, they're onboarded. It's a three-month in-depth onboarding process. Understand your role. Then you start in it in the day-to-day. There's weekly team meetings, flock meetings. And in there, you're talking about, here's the values of our flock. And here's supporting slavery behaviors that are examples, right? So you're like, okay, I understand. It's been laid out in front of me. Here's what I do. These deliverables, that's success. All right. Oh, that's slippery. Got it. Checkpoint. Everybody slips. Doesn't matter. Your message repeating this. And then quarterly, you're coming in and you're being like, hey, here's how my quarter was. And your flock leader is giving you really clear feedback the entire time. And so you have success defined. And then that, each person, that feeds up into a flock, that feeds up into our organization. And so that's from the bottom up how it looks and works. And it is super fucking clear. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the weird things thinking about the onboarding process. Your first week at Gooder has nothing to do with your role. It's all about understanding onboarding the culture so that you can operate within this system because it is so different. And then the other thing I just heard is basically there's never a, hey, uh, it feels like we need to hire another copywriter. And then we're just like, yeah, great. Let's hire that person. And then hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll teach them the role. We'll figure it out. It's, it's like... Uh, Yeah, well, that's a really good example. We changed things around at towards the end of last year. And Carrie, who will be on here is one of my co founders. Mm -hmm. She's like, we need a new copywriter. I was like, awesome. Lily, who's our Carrie does a ton of copy too. But like, all right, cool. Could you make a could you outline? Hey, here's all the copy that we do. Here's the time we're adding this. And when they did all the work, they realized we didn't need somebody 40 hours a week. We need somebody more like 10 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And we're able to actually create a role that was a hybrid. It was part copywriter, part something else that we needed. And that came from what you're talking about. Instead of just saying, well, we need a new copywriter. It's like, well, like, let's look at it. Let's look at it pragmatically. And it's like, well, we do need some more copy help, but it's not a full role. And so now, and that's how every role kind of is, is actually evaluating that. And because we can always hire more people or we can do less. Right. Right. <laughs> or, or we can <laughs> There's always an initiatives. option. Yeah. There's always options. And but like 
that's a really good example of our system working. For sure. And you know what you just said, that 10 hours, that's going to really stretch someone to the point of burnout, right? And they're going to say, All right, we need to hire this person. You hire that person, they've got 10 hours of work to do. They're spinning their thumbs the rest of the time. You know, yeah. and that's how you get a company culture with uh, people playing hacky sack in the hallways or whatever. <laughs> like, <it's just laughs> yeah, for not sure. enough for them to do. But the the beautiful thing about the way that that particular role was approached is we were able to tap the total native genius of one of our staff members who was awesome at creative copywriting and also was she creating like props and yeah. other physical things for the content team. So to be able to create a role around someone's amazing creative abilities and just bring out the best in them, that is the ultimate goal, I think, of, of any of these efforts. For sure. And I will throw one other thing in there is I still sit in every single quarterly review. Every single quarterly review, I sit in every one of the team still. We're at, what, like 70 people right now, Sean? Yep. And I'll be able to do this for at least another year. But every quarter, I do that. And for a lot of reasons. One, I think it's really important and it means a lot that I give feedback to everyone at the organization. Also, I mean, we're still building this building as like, we're still going up, right? You know, like <laughs> we're at floor 70, like, well, we still got a hundred more floors to go. And so because I do this, I know the business better than everyone. And it's not a micromanaging thing. It's understanding what's going on. And in this, I'm sitting there, I know about the copy thing. And I'm listening to to Foodie, who is was was in our customer service team, this amazing props designer, and she does a ton of copy for customer service. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there being like, "Well, we need some help in this area and in this area." Hey, Carrie, what do you think about doing a hybrid role where Tofuti does half copy, half props? We move her out of customer service and onto your team. Mm-hmm. That came from me sitting in every amp uh, review. Make no mistake about it. That move right. doesn't happen without that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're in there. I hope it can continue. At the very least, we'll just cut it down from four times a year to two and then one or whatever we got to do. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So what are the 12 flocks? For sure. So we have... I'll, call, I'll, be tr- I'll try to be literal. Every flock, as you can imagine, has their own super clever name. I'll yep. just talk in literal terms so we have our hr flock it's kind of hr and culture Mm -hmm. then we have our direct consumer sales and marketing flock then we have our b2b sales and marketing flock those are two different right one doing sales marketing to our consumers one's doing sales marketing to our retailers and distributors then we have content and copy so video photographs anything that any piece of content you see created comes from then then we have our brand and design flock. And so design is different. The design element is different than going out and doing a video shoot. But you know, Mike and Carrie, who lead those, are tied at the hip. Then we have activations. So that's all of our community managers. Kelly leads that. So you know, for Run, we have a community manager. For Bike, we have a community manager. For Beast, we have a community manager. For Golf, we have a community manager. For Game, we have a community manager. And so they're really at activating our communities their social channels, events when the world allows for that. Then we have a project manager flock. So Hansi leads that. She's been on here before. And they are the ones that lead all of our launch efforts. You know, we have a 58-week launch calendar and we have, I don't know what we're dropping next year, like 170 (laughs) drops. So that seems like enough. 
Yeah, we have project managers to make sure that happens. They're awesome. Then we have our DC flock. Sarah leads that. They're inside the building. They're the ones packing the boxes all day, every day. Then we have our customer service flock. Crafty leads that. They do our customer service for both consumers and our business partners. Then we have ops. Eileen leads that. So our systems, logistics, how do we get product from overseas into our building? She works really tightly with Sarah, the DC flock leader, and then Mountain, our product flock leader, which is our next flock Mm -hmm. product. So how all the products made. Then we have finance, the finance flocks, make sure that we are collecting our money. We have cash flow, budgets are being spent the right way. And then the last flock is our flock leaders. So then each leader of those flocks is a separate flock that I am the leader of. Mm-hmm. And that's the hidden 13th flock. <laughs> that's the hidden 13th flock. But yeah, but and I, I do see us at some point, you know, there could be a case for some other flocks at some point. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, you, you want to just head over to Circle Bar? Let's do it. All right. Anything you didn't get to cover or uh, you want to take another shot at? Well, I think the one thing just so people understand why I believe this flat ish reporting structure is so important is I kind of encourage flock leaders to be selfish. And what I mean by that is their prime directive is to their flock and their values and their needs. And so Dan, who leads our direct to consumer flock, website, conversion, paying for media, that's really important. Carrie leads our content flock, creates all of our content. So if you have One, they each have individual skills that are unique and important. And two, if you have Dan creating content, then he's going to want to create only the content that converts. Mm -hmm. And if you have Carrie leading the direct-to-consumer marketing efforts, she's going to care less about conversion and more about making really cool shit. And both those things are important, and they both need to work together. And that is a real-life example of why the separation really is really important because you don't get groupthink, you get everybody being unique, challenging status quo, and working together. At the end of the day, we we are all on the same team. Right. So what I'm hearing is the tension inherent in these prime directives is a potential energy that is used to propel us forward and create the best solution for all the problems we face. Oh, you bet your ass. (laughs) All right. Cool, cool. So uh, any advice for people who want to follow a similar path here? Man, pull back and really start identifying what are prime directives of certain groups. It's a really hard exercise. Doing it from the ground up is easier, but you can do it. And really understanding, all right, what's the success of this team? What's the success of this team? What does that look like? And if you can start doing that and pulling it apart and empowering everybody to create that tension, that's my advice is like, you really need to just start clumping together teams and doing that by success. And if you can identify different success goals inside of different teams, you're halfway there to start pulling it apart. All right. So any next actions to move forward on that advice? Just listen to this season three, this podcast. Cool. So just relax, subscribe, etc. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe and send us your questions at gooder.com slash culture. Season three is off and running. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Thank you so much for listening. Send us your questions, learn more, and find episode resources at gooder.com slash culture. If you enjoyed yourself today, which we're sure you did, we would be so grateful if you could please leave us your star rating and review. That minute and a half of your time, it really does help people find us. 
And don't forget to share us on your stories, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your delivery person who's probably listening to some other shitty podcast right now. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Culture Gooder and Stephen at Stephen Lease. That's Stephen with a PH because those V people are not trustworthy. Culture Gooder is produced by our in-house Gooder team. So many thanks to the Culture Gooder team and also everyone else at Gooder, really without whom there obviously would be nothing to even podcast about. At Gooder, we exist to give you the permission to be unabashedly yourself, unless you're an asshole. So don't be. See you next time.